o'clock last night to drive over to the emergency <laughs> to the emergency room to sit in the emergency ER until midnight. Got home about 12.30, 12.45, got to bed about 1. So I almost pulled a straight 24-hour situation. I had about three hours. So um, I am uh, good to go this morning. <laughs> but if things get squirrely somewhere in the middle of the term, it's like, oh, yeah, he's got about four hours of sleep. This could help me maybe get started without some. <clears throat> I want you to turn to the person next to you, and we're going to talk about some, some, some home things this morning. And you're going to share about a time when you were oh so happy to be home. Uh, maybe you left the ER at 12 in the morning, and you're like, oh, I'm really happy to be home and not in the ER. Maybe you have a house rule. Is there a rule in your house that's kind of like this is like, you know, this is the house rule, or a few house rules, or just like kind of a family life element or tradition. So just take uh, two, three minutes and share that to the person either around you. Um, yeah, take a minute. For what? Uh, no, 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 no. Jeanette, Jeanette like bonked her lip and got two stitches, and they got there at like nine thirty at night, and we didn't. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> I need to, I need to clarify that <laughs> that it wasn't for me being in the yard. <laughs> I was just talking to some buddies about that yesterday. Mm -hmm. I was just like, I said there's a couple times in my life when I've kind of been a little bit on the pericope of like, oh man, I'm a little scared of this situation. That was, I was riding out to Beaumont and I was going up like some pass in between and it was just like, I ran out of water and I just finally came to a place and I just like sat in the fridge or freezer or something like that for... <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Almost like a. Yep. 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 Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, almost like a, like a like a biological uh, refrigerator. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That got that got y'all talking a lot. Can I hear one or two? We won't take a lot of time on this, but. I'd love to hear one or two, and then we'll. I'll tell you what. It was, it was like really, really good to be home. From, we drove, Troy and I drove to Chicago uh, a couple weeks ago, and um, not only was it just good to be like off, like off the road and out of the car, but it was just good to like be back in California 
Because it's like each time we, we go out there, we used to live out there for a couple of years. Each time we come back, we're like, you know what? Like, we made the right choice. And, like, <laughs> um, yeah, each time we go out there, it's like, man, whatever charm, like, the area that we lived in had was really just because, like, we were first married. <laughs> yeah, and it was just a different, you know, it was just a different place. Yeah. So, it was good to, yeah, it was good to be back home. Cool. got out of the car and it was, like, salt in the air and nice yeah. and Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And that's no shade on, like, Chicago. It's <laughs> all right. Yeah, we enjoy it. I got a house rule. No cell phones at the table. Well, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've adopted Brian's mom's house rule, which is act like you live here. Oh. Yeah. That's a great rule. Emulate their hospitality. Yeah. They are like the most hospitable. Yeah. I'm sure if my dad came to your house, he'd drink milk straight out of the gallon jug too, and he would act just like you live there. I would tell him because you never know <laughs> yeah. Yeah, one or two more? Mine is always camping when I come home, no matter if we're a nice camper or in the tent. Yeah. When you come home, you get in your bed, you take a shower. Yeah. You get in your bed first. Yeah. Getting those steps in, Wendy. I know. One from the middle section here. Preach a sermon on that one, huh? Yeah. Robert, I thought I heard you guys talking about one. I'm trying to think of, I mean, you could put like a, an S after the rule because there's probably a lot of yeah. cool things. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. I'm always telling the kids to close the screen. I think I say it all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about kids that come over or our kids, they don't come in and out. There's always a million the kids, and they always either break the screen or they don't they close run right the screen. Into it. <laughs> Glistens, do you guys miss those stage, or are you guys like, man, I'm glad my 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 screen stays intact? <laughs> yeah. I promise too, if we come over and get a Capri Sun, we'll close this. 
I was, uh, I will start this. I was reading, anybody following Johnny Depp and Amber Heard? Anybody into that news? Huh? I had no idea what was going on. And I thought, like, at one point I was reading the paper and I was like, maybe I should just read what's going on. I don't know what's going on. And this is a little editorial that I read the other day. They were talking about, you know, this. What was fascinating, too, about this, I'll just read this little section. <clears throat> Depp testified at length. Maybe you guys saw this. Maybe you guys were sitting at home watching this. He, Depp testified at length about the childhood abuse he suffered at the hands of his mother, Betty Sue. Even flinching on the stand as he described how he'd protect himself when she walked past him at home. He said she might fling an ashtray at his head or hit him with her high heel or a telephone or, quote, whatever's handy. In our house, he said, we were never exposed to any type of safety or security. The only thing that uh, one could do, really, was to try and stay out of the line of fire. And then the couple's therapist, Laurel Anderson, testified in a videotape deposition that Heard's father um, beat her as a child and that it was a point of pride to herself if she felt disrespected to initiate a fight. Also said Anderson, she felt um, she had to hit him back if he hit her. And so she always did. And the, some of the, this kind of editorial kind of I didn't agree with, but I, I didn't realize, you know, obviously the painful, and I, I didn't know anything about the story, about the, the, obviously they're going through divorce and the kind of he said, she said, and all that sort of stuff. And, um, but I didn't, as I was reading this, I was, I was pretty shocked to read this. Now, we're talking a lot about families this morning, and, and I want to go the, to the scriptures, and we're going to take an unlikely verse, and we're going to apply it, I think, to families, to homes, to life. Um, because in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, we're, as we're doing these I am's, if you want to turn there. You probably know or have heard this, this, um, <clears throat> this, I mean, yeah, this is kind of one of the, the more famous, uh, I am's where 14.6, Jesus answered, he's speaking to Thomas and I'm going to kind of expand on the context in a second, but I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Right. So we kind of all know that verse. We've probably heard that verse and, um, you know, again, I want to look at this first, but I want to talk about, about families, about homes, because um, <clears throat> when you pan out a little bit to understand the context of where Jesus is saying this, I think it brings a little bit of light to, to what's going on. So in John chapter 13 through 17, we have something called the upper room discourse. Now, the, room, the reason it's called the upper room discourse is because Jesus is in the what? He's in the upper room, Right. And he's having the Passover meal with his disciples. And we've, we know the table of 26 joke here. We all know that, huh? No? Table for 26. But Jesus, there's only 13 of us. We all want to sit on one side of the table. <laughs> um, and I should have showed the picture of your family when you guys reenacted uh, your Christmas card. Um, so they're in the upper room, they're having the last supper, or as we know at the last supper, it would have been the Passover meal to them, right? They're having the Passover meal and Jesus, and I know you all can read this. Jesus is giving, it's called the upper room discourse in the Bible. Maybe your Bible has where the words of Jesus are highlighted in red. 
So in, this is John 13 through 17, and you can see the discourse that is all of Jesus's words as he's speaking to his disciples, right? The black would be either transitions or maybe questions by the disciples, but Jesus is given this massive kind of discourse um, as he's, again, this is Thursday night, right? Jesus is going to the cross the next day. So in John 13, it starts off like this. There is the feet washing, right? Jesus brings his disciples and he begins to wash their feet. Then Judas betrays, or I'm sorry, Jesus kind of is predicting that, that Judas is going to betray him. Judas, you're going to leave me. You're going to betray me. You're going to sell me out. Jesus in 33 says that he's going to be leaving, that he's going to be leaving the disciples. And then in 36 through 38, um, Jesus is predicting that Peter is going to deny Jesus, right? So that Peter's going to, again, kind of, um, you know, help, you don't, uh, before the rooster crows, twice, you're going to disown me three times, right? So you have this in 13, and then at the beginning of 14, um, Jesus talks again about leaving, and then you have that passage where, you know, I'm going to my father's house, um, and I'm going, to, there's, I'm going to make a place for you, there's going to be rooms for you, and then in verse 5, Thomas says, like, but, like, we don't know where you're going. Like, how can we follow you? How can we know the way where you're going, right? Um, and then Philip also says, like, God, you know, show us the way, show us the way to the Father. That'll be enough for us. So there's all kind of sorts of confusion about what's going on with, with this passage. And again, you know, this, this kind of context of the disciples are having this, this Passover meal together, right? It, sh- it should be a, a joyous event. It should be um, a celebration. It's the culmination of the liberation from, from Israel as the Israelites, you know, kind of leave Israel and the Passover. And, and this should be a real joyous event. And Jesus is kind of speaking cryptically, speaking metaphorically. He's predicting betrayal. He's predicting denial. He's, he's leaving them. And I was, I don't know if this helps you guys, but this was helping me. You know, as, as this should be a meal of celebration, right? And of, of joy and kind of, you know, Jesus and his disciples in this upper room having this great meal. It should be that meal. And it ends up, this was, I just, this, this is where my mind goes. It ends, up, it ends up being a Festivus kind of like just, you know, um, I should have shown the Festivus poll. But do you guys remember this episode, Andy Seinfeld? Man, this is such a great one. Um, so we end up with this, and Jesus is talking at the beginning of 14. Let's go to, um, to 14 just to, to read this real quick. Jesus is talking in 14, and this is probably going to be hard for you guys to focus on the Bible while you're looking at Festivus, so I'll, I'll turn that off for a second. He says this at the beginning of 14, and again, this sets up the context for verse 6. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Perhaps that could be the word from the Holy Spirit for you today, right? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My father's house has plenty of room. If it were not so, I would have told you that I am going. Um, if, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. To which Thomas, just real, just plainly, we don't know where you're going. Like, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then Jesus says this famous statement, I am the way 
I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, right? So I'm thinking about this, and, and this was this is kind of maybe just kind of a real preliminary point. Last week, I, I kind of was joking about how Jesus missed a great marketing opportunity in the Good Shepherd. And this one, I think, is a little bit more. But a lot of times what happens with this passage is it gets turned, I would say, into like a theological weapon, right? This I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, right? And, and or, or maybe like this kind of evangelical trump card in which we throw it down and say, look, see there, Jesus said it. He's the only way. He's the life, right? And so sometimes people kind of drop this on, on other people, you know, like, hey, this is, this is us. Jesus is, you know, again, it just kind of has this, this emphasis on it, right? And that's probably how a lot of times when you've heard this passage, it's, it's used, right? We just take, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Jesus is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life, and that's, we throw it down on people. But when I was thinking about this passage this week, I was framing it more again in, in this kind of home context, right? Jesus is talking to his disciples who are distressed, right? Who are, are troubled, who are disturbed. And he's saying, um, but I'm, I'm going to make a home for you, right? I'm going to make a home for you. So maybe we could think about this passage in, in these terms where when, when Jesus talks about being the way, right? Like, like what is the road home? How, how do we get home? What's the way home, so to speak? When Jesus talks about being the truth, and, this is, and again, this is probably some of the, the, the themes that we picked up from those earlier questions. What are some house rules that Jesus would have, right? When Jesus talks about the life, what's home life like? What's the culture like? Uh, Robert, you talked to kind of about just, you know, kind of open. We just want to be open. We want people to come in and out, right? So when you think about this passage in these terms, um, I, I think this is a little bit more helpful for us to understand. Now, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, well, you can't, you can't use it as, again, I think Jesus makes a brilliant statement that could stand on its own here. But I would just wanted to think about it a little differently in these, in these sorts of terms. So the way, the truth, and the life First off, in the way Jesus is talking about the road home, Jesus is connecting all these Old Testament passages. And I think that we need to always remember that. Jesus isn't just, um, he's just not some kind of wandering sage teacher. He's deeply rooted in the Old Testament. Moses talking about walking in the way the Lord your God had commanded you, right? Um, yeah, there's my boy. He's coming out. Look at his lip. Got that little pouty Aww. lip. Yeah. Um, the Psalms. God, teach me your way. Lead me in a straight path. Isaiah. I love this passage in Isaiah. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, your ears will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. And again, we kind of look at these maybe as random Old Testament passages. The disciples would have had, like, the way we're familiar with John 3.16, they would have had that familiarity with these passages, right? And Jesus is, in some senses, he begins speaking in, in the footsteps of Moses, of David, of Elijah, saying, I am this way, right? What Moses, what David, what Elijah, what the Old Testament was talking about is the way. Jesus is really kind of stepping into that and saying, I am that way. But Jesus' way home, what's fascinating is that Jesus' way home is different than we might think, right? Jesus' way home, 
And Jesus has been telling them and will demonstrate to them that his way home is through the cross, right? Jesus' way home is through the cross. And when you think about the disciples, and, you know, obviously we're disciples, so you can think about us. You think about all the ways that the disciples, like, they kind of just missed the way home. And we think about the way that we missed the way home, right? Here's what I mean by that. The disciples, what do they do? They argue about the way to get home. I'll tell you the way to get home, to be the greatest, right? So you have James and John coming to Jesus and saying, hey, you know, one of us on your right, one of us on your left. And Jesus is like, that's not the way home. That's not the way to my kingdom, right? You have at one point the disciples picking up swords, right? They're ready to, they're ready to fight their way home to the kingdom. And Jesus says, put down your sword, right? My kingdom is not a kingdom of violence. You have the disciples, um, one of the reasons, and I don't, I don't know where the other little boy went, one of the reasons I love having kids in our, in our gathering is because people bring kids to Jesus, right? And the disciples start rebuking them. What's that kid doing in our service? Get them out of here, right? That's what the disciples do. And Jesus says, don't rebuke the kids. Let them come to me, right? For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Unless you can receive the, God, the kingdom of God as a little child, you will never enter it, right? And so the disciples think that they're going to be more important because the kids aren't important. We're, we're doing really important adult stuff in here, right? But Jesus says, no, 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 no. The, the kids, the kingdom, what's happening back in that room is the most important. The disciples try and get their way home through tribalism, right? When, when John comes to Jesus and says, teacher, we saw somebody driving out demons in your name, but we told them to stop because they're not one of us, right? And Jesus says, don't stop them, right? No one who in one moment can, um, who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say something bad about me for whoever is not against us is for us. So the disciples, again, and this is us too, trying to get our way home by being greater, by being more important. Um, violence often, now again, not, probably not physical violence, but there's all sorts of different kinds of violence. We see violence a lot of times on social media. We see violence on um, just kind of the attitudes, the way we treat one another, tribalism, upward mobility. But Jesus has been telling them again and again and again that his way home is through the cross, Right? In our lives, in, in my life, I want to imitate the way of the cross. And I want to choose, this is hard. I want to choose that downward, sacrificial <coughs> service that leads me home to Jesus. That's the way, right? Um, I asked my wife about a chore that I hate to do at home. And I couldn't really think about this. Can you think about any? Have you thought of more of that I question? I don't like to clean the bathrooms. Yeah. You know, I bring this up because, you know, in this way, this could be a real simple and subtle way of, of just choosing the downward way of Jesus, the way of the cross. Now, look, I don't mean to compare a toilet brush to Jesus' death on the cross, but Jesus does call us in little ways, right, each and every day to deny ourselves, to choose this kind of sacrificial way to serve, to be humble, um, and this is, again, as we do this again and again and again, making these small choices, these little patterns in our lives. The Bible says that God, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How do we become more humble? Service, 
sacrifice, right? Choosing these, these sorts of simple things that we can say, eh, I don't want to do that. But Lord, you compel me to be a servant, right? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, God, I don't want to do that. But you compel me to be a servant, right? So let me ask you this question. <clears throat> in your home, work, family, neighborhood, Is there, is there something that has you choose the downward way? Is there something, a way that you serve, that you sacrifice, that you give? Jesus' way home is the way of the cross. So again, we just look for those opportunities in which we can serve, in which we can give, in which we can sacrifice. Maybe the Holy Spirit speaks something to you. Jesus says he is the way, and then he says he is the truth in which he talks about house rules, is what I would say. Now, my next little, I got my props today. I haven't done props for a little bit. You guys, this is the, uh, the infamous upside down. Williams, what do we call this? Morning checklist for our girls, right? Um, I'm trying, do you guys know? Well, you guys don't really have. Lisa, you guys do a morning checklist? Get the kids out the door? You guys, no? We're the only ones? No morning checklist? Huh? Steven got like the teacher font, which is like that kind of like, she got up. This has been a lifesaver in our household um, <clears throat> because you know what it's like in the mornings getting kids, a lot of you guys getting kids out. And it's taken a lot of pressure off my wife and I to, you know, hey, look at the checklist. Go do your things. In our mind, I think we had reward, some sort of reward system set up that just kind of never really happened. But, you know, we were thinking about that. Um, so... Again, kind of house rules. I would say these are some house rules. Like, this is what you got to do in the morning, right? The psalmist says this beautiful, this beautiful, here's another beautiful verse that kind of combines the way and, and the truth. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Now, when Jesus says he is the truth, we got to ask ourselves this question. What kind of truth are you talking about here, Jesus, right? Um, is it moral truth? Is it absolute truth? Is it scientific truth? There's all sorts of different truths and people kind of getting all sorts of arguments about that sort of truth. The, the checklist is, is pointing to something greater, right? The checklist is pointing to a reality that I want my kids to be self-sufficient, to handle themselves appropriately, to be, um, to be responsible, to grow into maturity, right? So when we think about Jesus saying he is the truth, and there's a lot of truth that we encounter in the scripture, right? The, the scripture is full of truth. But this is all pointing to Jesus, right? This is all pointing to Jesus. My mentor, Adam, this is one of these Adam sayings that I've just, is just kind of stuck in my brain. He says this, I love this phrase. When Jesus says he is the truth, right? Jesus is not an airtight argument. He's an airtight person, right? Jesus is not an airtight argument. He's an airtight person. You and I, in our walk with Christ, as we encounter him as the truth, we don't get this checklist, right? Do's and don'ts. Rather, what we get, I would say, is a dynamic, interactive, Loving, think about this. Just close your eyes. Think about this. You don't get a checklist. God did not say, here's a checklist of things you need to do. I will give you a dynamic, loving, 
interactive relationship who will guide you and lead you in the most loving way possible that will will the best for you. That's what you get. That is the truth of Scripture, right? That is the truth, this dynamic, interactive relationship who loves and guides you in the most loving way possible. Um, I'm thinking if I want to say this or not. I'll just throw it up there. And, And one thing is when we think about truth, truth really, at the end of the day, is just representing things as they really are, right? And when we look to Jesus, Jesus is representing reality, life here and now and forever as it really will be. We get this dynamic, loving individual, and we will study and we will imitate and we will grow and stumble and fall towards his kingdom. He's with you every single step of the, just all the time, his presence, that's the whole story of the scripture, is God with us. God wants to be with you. Loving, interactive, dynamic relationship. Um, One last one, which is last prop of the day, ladies and gentlemen. Anybody excited about this one? Okay, who's in cast iron land? Who cooks with cast iron? Glistens, yeah. Cast iron, yeah. Who's still who's still lost in in the archaic ventures of Teflon pans? Nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with Teflon. No. Both. <sighs> Transcendent right here. <laughs> this, this. No, I'm trying to think of the the nature of when you bought me this. Is this the the gift, the infamous gift of like I was like kind of like, oh sweet, more stuff to do work with. Oh, really? But was this like that you gave me and I was like, oh, wow, more, more work tools? Yeah. At one point, I think it was like right after we moved into our house and we did all this housework, and then it was Father's Day and you bought me like a bunch of tools to do more work, and I was so fried from just doing housework, and I'm like, oh, thanks, more tools to do. <laughs> I have, if, if this is the, the case with this pan, this is probably, next to my bikes, maybe my favorite thing, in, and my kids. Make, sorry, sorry. Let me rank that. My wife, my kids my bikes, and my cast iron pan. This is number four. Um, Or my coffee machine. Um, So here we go. So this guy right here. Now, this is getting really complicated. The The main thing here, we use this thing all the time. And you cast iron folks know this. I mean, pancakes, eggs, quesadillas, burgers, when we eat it, meat. Fried rice, grilled cheese. I, got, I was just thinking French toast, saute. What else was, happens in this pan? I threaten my kids with this pan on occasion. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Phil's like, yeah, hey, you never know. I've seen your kids lip and chin. Yeah. Um, and I, I bring this up. <laughs> I bring this up because, you know, and I think for all of us here, so much happens around the family meal, right? The meal together as a family. There's all sorts of research. Maybe you've encountered this research or seen this. There's a website called The Family Dinner Project. It talks about how children who sit down to eat with their family are at lower risk for childhood obesity, depression, and suicidal thoughts, as well as high-risk behaviors like drug and alcohol abuse, 
In the elementary school-aged kids, family mealtime was a number one predictor of high achievement scores and increased language skills. Um, this, this, again, this website, Family Dinner Project, has done like over 20 years of research, right? Dozens of studies of just like how important family mealtime is together. Now, the last thing here is what's happening in John chapter 14 is at the beginning of John 13, right, as we're getting into this upper room discourse, this evening meal is being served, right? This evening meal is being served. And in John 14, as we're kind of playing on this passage, um, the father is eating with his children. They're, they're having this mealtime, right? They're having, they're having mealtime, right? Or I'm sorry, in John chapter 14, Jesus keeps saying, I am the father and the father is in me. Right? He keeps saying this, I am the Father and the Father is in me. He's, he's equating himself, as we talked about in the Trinity a couple weeks ago. He's equating himself. He's, he's identifying himself with the Father. And so to paraphrase that, it's, it's like dad and his kids are having mealtime together. Right? Dad and his kids are having mealtime, his disciples. And not only does um, Jesus eat this specific Passover meal with the disciples, but as we learn from the other Gospels, one of the things he does is he gives instructions, he gives commands to always remember him, to always eat this meal that we're going to take, and as we take it every week, we're to eat this meal together, right? To be thankful for him, to remember, to commemorate. And when we do this, when we take the Eucharist together, when we, when we take this mealtime together, it's not just a mnemonic device. It's not just a memory tool in which we kind of think back fondly upon Jesus or think nice, warm, fuzzy thoughts about Jesus, right? But the Spirit of God, in some way I don't understand, is alive in those two real simple elements right there, right? The Spirit of God is alive and well, bringing us to a flourishing life. Just as a mealtime does for a family, right? This mealtime, in some senses, does something for us as a church family, right, within us. Now, I know that we're kind of riffing here in a little bit, but I want you to see that connection where Jesus is the Father, and he's having this, this mealtime with his kids, right? And he's speaking about life, and then he says, but when you take this meal, there's, there's flourishing like when you begin to consistently kind of take this meal together, you, you, you flourish, there's abundance, right? There's purpose. There's a sense of a vigorous life, a resilient life. There is a courageous life. You become, I don't know, like the spirit of God is alive in this meal. You're more settled. You're more calm. You have a greater sense of hope around you that the world isn't going to hell in a handbasket as everybody wants to tell you that it is, that the kingdom of God is alive and well. You are gracious to other people. You're kind. It, it forms in us, just the way that family mealtime forms in, in, in families and in kids, this forms in us, um, this is the generic church word, but a blessed life. The wind to our back, right? The spirit of God the wind to our back. And Jesus always invites us. He invites us to this meal. And we'll take this in a second. But <clears throat> um, Jesus says this, this, this great passage in Revelation as he says, I'm going to stand at the door and knock. And obviously there's the home imagery right there. If you hear my voice, 
as we've always talked about hearing the voice of God, and you open that door, I will come in, and that's great, I will share a meal together as friends. Um, so when I think about this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah. It could be, and I don't want to you know, say it's not about the superiority of God or Jesus. I'm not trying to diminish that at all. Um, but I think that Jesus, at some levels, is really explaining as he was talking to his disciples, I'm going to go make a home for you, right? I'm going to show you the way to that home. I'm going to show you the, the, what it's like that the house rules for that home. I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'm going to show you what family life, and we're going to share this meal together in our home, right? And I think you, if we just kind of, you know, again, just use it as that trump card or whatever, I think you miss the depth and something that Jesus is doing. And, and circling all the way back to the beginning, too, when we were talking about this, this, man, could you imagine going to Johnny Depp or Amber Heard, who come from such brutal, broken homes? And you say to him, I am the, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? And he welcomes them home, that reconciliation, that restoration that they've always wanted. Um, and that's why we do it. That's why we, we take it. And as we take it, then we go out boldly into this world and we proclaim it. Jesus is the way home, right? Jesus is the way home. The, the home that you've always longed for is through the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Let me say a word of prayer and then we'll do a little bit of discussion. Yeah, I think, again, God, as my prayer always is, you know, that Revelation verse 2. Oh, man, that we would hear your voice. Maybe there is a a sentence or a thought that kind of came off a thought. Maybe there's uh, just joy in, in hearing the kids or the Eucharist or the songs that we'll sing. We want to hear your voice. We're going to take this meal in a second as friends with the King of the universe, with the Father, the Son, the Spirit, that image um, of the Trinity where we sit down at the table and God welcomes us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this time to be together, to think about these things, to turn our eyes towards you once more. Again, we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. Oh, okay, a couple uh, questions for discussion. Um, you know, again, the disciples are kind of in this troubling situation where Jesus talks about betrayal. He talks about leaving them. He talks about um, denial. Is there a troubling situation that you are currently in where you need to invite Jesus or where you need Jesus to invite you home? In your home, work, family, or neighborhood, where are you choosing that downward way? Where are you picking up that beautiful toilet brush and saying, yeah, I could, I could do that. I could serve in that way. Um, have, how have you encountered Jesus to be truth? Uh, that's kind of a vague question, but maybe that, that kind of leads to some, some thoughts. Share of a significant or meaningful time of taking the Eucharist and how that brought new life to you. So go ahead and take a few moments for those questions and then we'll do some uh, group discussion at the end.